Greetings, this is podcast number 79 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to start a series entitled, Lying or Just Plain Ignorant? Bill O'Reilly Misleads His Audience. Part 1 today will be about Iraq. Included will be some effective responses for when you hear misinformation like that disseminated by O'Reilly. Also, Bush's new health care proposal will be put under the blast the right microscope and come out much the worse for the wear. Oh, let's get right into it. My sources for this first segment are Newsweek Magazine, the website of the University of Maryland School of Public Policy, Zogby.com, and TheWashingtonPost.com. Longtime listeners may recall that we've already shown how Bill O'Reilly is not above blatantly misstating facts about the Iraq War, as long as it puts the Bush administration and its policies in a better light. Many podcasts ago, we discussed how on his November 7, 2005 radio show, O'Reilly advanced the bizarre theory that If Jacques Chirac had stepped up and looked Saddam in the eye and said, either let those U.N. inspectors do their job unfettered or I'm going with the USA and Britain, Saddam would have blinked. Wouldn't have been an Iraq war. This Iraq war is on Chirac. It's on right on his head. That's where it is. Have you ever heard anything more deceitful leading to a more idiotic conclusion? The truth is, the U.N. inspectors were being allowed to do their job unfettered, as they themselves reported. They were going wherever they wanted to unannounced and couldn't find any WMD. They even asked U.S. intelligence for the location of the WMD that U.S. officials said we knew Iraq had. But when the inspectors went to those locations, no WMD. Jacques Chirac had nothing to do with our going to war in defiance of the world. Jacques Chirac didn't allow Saddam to interfere with the inspectors because they weren't interfered with. But O'Reilly's unquestioning audience undoubtedly still believes to this day that Saddam didn't let the inspectors do their job because he expected Jacques Chirac to save him, and that the war that George Bush and the neocons launched for oil and military bases against the wishes of the entire world, and in contravention of international law, was really Jacques Chirac's fault. A fantasy of truly O'Reillyan proportions. That was then. Well, Bill misleads his audience every day on so many things, it's hard to keep track. But another such recent misdeed struck me as being particularly worthy of bringing to your attention. In recent weeks, a parade of right-wing blabbermouths have taken Potemkin Village tours of Iraq. Sean Hannity, Michelle Malkin, and Bill O'Reilly, among others. All have come back dutifully reporting that troop morale is high and the troops overwhelmingly support the mission. For example, on his TV show The Factor, O'Reilly was telling it like it is to columnist Ellis Hennigan and Fox News' pet Democrat Laura Schwartz. O'Reilly reassures us on both the depth of our troops' support for their mission and their support for Bush's surge strategy. You both should understand this, because when I was over there, 
I asked more than a hundred of our soldiers and Marines, do you believe in this cause? Should we be doing this? Is it worth one last try? And 90% of them said yes. Portraying the troops as supporting the mission is important to the right-wing propaganda machine because it allows neocon and other right-wing pundits to claim that opposition to the surge, or to any aspect of Bush's war policies, harms the morale of the troops and indeed is tantamount to not supporting them. Anything to discourage us progressives from speaking out. Now. O'Reilly has a staff of researchers and other assistants, so I don't know how he could possibly be ignorant of the following. If he did know about the poll numbers I'm going to give you, then he's a blatant liar. If he didn't know about them, he's just incompetently ignorant. Either way, his audience, the truth, and the soldiers suffer. Here are the facts O'Reilly, for whatever reason, didn't tell his audience. In a Zogby poll early last year, soldiers in Iraq were asked the following, quote, How long should U.S. troops stay in Iraq? Close quote. The soldiers were given five choices. Quote, they should withdraw immediately. They should withdraw within the next six months. They should withdraw within six to twelve months. They should stay as long as they are needed. Not sure. Close quote. The results were a whopping 29% of U.S. troops in Iraq said we should leave immediately. Another 22% said we should withdraw in six months. And yet an additional 21% said we should be out between six and 12 months. In other words, last February, Fully 72% of American forces in Iraq said we should be out of that country within a year, which would be just about now. Only 23% said they should stay as long as they're needed, the Bush policy. Repeat, therefore, until ingrained in your brain. Almost three-quarters of U.S. troops wanted us to leave Iraq within a year, which would be just about now, regardless of whether the mission was finished. Less than one in four soldiers supported Bush's policy to stay as long as needed. It's obvious that Troops O'Reilly would meet on a trip to Iraq would be a carefully chosen and or self-selected, totally non-representative bunch. And as this poll shows, they obviously were. And let me ask you, do you think it would be a fair assumption that the widespread anti-war sentiment expressed by U.S. troops in the Zogby poll would only have grown since the poll was taken early last year? Of course anti-war sentiment would have grown. So for O'Reilly to tell his audience that 90% of the troops support their mission, when the reality is less than one in four do, is dishonest journalism at worst, supreme incompetence at best. What all this means is that contrary to right-wing claims, opposition to the war here at home will increase the troops' morale because they'll feel maybe they'll be pulled out of that hellhole sooner rather than later, as about three-quarters of them want. O'Reilly even made matters worse by reading this email on his TV show this week. Tim Ziatich, Germany. Mr. O, please read this email. I'm a military member, and 99% of my unit supports the war in Iraq. Well, there you go, Tim. Stay safe.
Yup, there's lots of evidence that 99% of the troops support the Iraq war, isn't there, Bill? Talk about selective evidence. I've been making some calls to see if that Zogby poll will be repeated soon, because it would be great to see what the numbers are now a year later. If I find out anything, I'll let you know. To go along with the Zogby poll, as a bonus for you, I have a couple of more quick polls, the results of which the mainstream media also doesn't talk much about. More facts O'Reilly doesn't tell his audience, yet more anti-right-wing ammo for you to employ as you feel best. Poll numero uno. In September of last year, 71% of Iraqis said they wanted U.S. troops out within a year. Almost 80% of Iraqis said our military presence provokes more violence than it prevents. And, astoundingly, about 6 in 10 Iraqis actually said that they approve of attacks on our forces there. This poll was conducted for the University of Maryland's Program on International Policy Attitudes. The validity of this University of Maryland poll is bolstered by a survey conducted by the U.S. State Department itself in Iraq. That poll found that two-thirds of Iraqis in Baghdad favored the immediate withdrawal of U.S. forces. Polls of Iraqis have been trending this way for some time. So, whenever I hear right-wing blather that Iraqis aren't stepping up and fighting for their freedom, I just think Iraqis are stepping up and fighting for their freedom against the U.S. occupation and that insurgency is supported by 60% of their countrymen. The last poll was in Newsweek last week. It found that, quote, Congress is criticized by nearly two-thirds, 64%, of Americans for not being assertive enough in challenging the Bush administration's conduct of the war, close quote. All you progressives out there, what more do we need? The Iraqis want us to get out and are willing to kill us to get us out. Our troops want us to get out and the American public feels Congress isn't doing enough to get us out. So please, contact your local congressmen and senators at 202-224-3121. Tell them the facts and that you demand that they act now to get us out, to bring our participation in this bloody war to a rapid conclusion. 202-224-3121. Do it. Before we go on to the next segment, I want to mention that it's the beginning of the month when voting at Podcast Alley starts anew. We finished number six in January thanks to all the regular voters and listeners who voted for the first time last month. Let's do even better in February. So, one more time with this mid-podcast spiel and perhaps I'll be able to forego this in the following weeks. Building Blast the Right's audience is a prime goal of mine. The premier podcasting site is Podcast Alley. They post a top 10 on their home page. Being on the top 10 garners lots of new listeners. For the past four months, we've been on the top 10. 
Blast the Right got kicked off the top 10 by a radical right-wing economics podcast and a Bible-reading podcast. I sent out an appeal from MySpace, and we seem to be back on the top 10. But not for long, perhaps. So I want to make everyone an offer you can't refuse. Or so I hope. You get a half hour a week, two hours a month, of a show you enjoy listening to. And what will I ask in return? Ten seconds of your time once a month to go vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley, which you can do from the one-click link on the podcast homepage. Two hours for ten seconds. You could even go vote right now if you want to. Deal? Cool. There are nearly 47 million Americans, 46.6 million to be exact, who lack health care coverage. Over 8 million of them are children. There's a growing consensus in the country that concrete measures need to be taken to correct this shameful situation. By way of comparison, every other Western industrialized nation has universal health care coverage for all its citizens. Because Bush's tax cuts for the wealthy and multi-hundred billion dollar Iraq war leave no funds to address this situation, George W. Bush has proposed a plan that is revenue neutral. As you'll see, Bush's plan is nothing more than a typical right-wing Rube Goldberg type setup that will do little to help the suffering. My sources are articles, columns, and editorials in the New York Times. A quick sum-up of Bush's proposal, unveiled during his State of the Union speech, is that it would, quote, use tax subsidies to encourage more people to buy their own health insurance, while imposing additional taxes on people who have what Mr. Bush deems gold-plated insurance, close quote. To give a bit more detail, at the present time, employee health benefits are intact. On the other hand, if you go buy health insurance on your own, Wages you may have used to pay for that insurance were subject to taxation. Quote, Under Mr. Bush's proposal, employee health benefits would, for the first time, be treated as income and would be subject to income and payroll taxes, just like wages. Close quote. Now here's how the plan would supposedly help the uninsured. Quote, Mr. Bush would create a tax deduction for health insurance of $15,000 for families and $7,500 for individuals. The same deduction would be available to everyone with coverage. A family with coverage worth $18,000 would have to pay taxes on the amount exceeding the $15,000 standard deduction, $3,000 in this example. Close quote. The money saved by the tax deduction would supposedly help pay for health insurance for those who now don't have it. Confused? Don't worry. The plan doesn't work anyway and isn't going anywhere in Congress. That differing treatment of health benefits from an employer versus buying coverage outside the workplace on your own may not be fair. But making both subject to taxation and then providing a tax deduction will do little to solve the problem of there being 47 million uninsured Americans. Let's go over the two main reasons why. First, the vast majority of the uninsured are low income. They simply can't afford the premiums. 
telling them that they'll now get a tax deduction if they go out and buy the insurance is therefore a meaningless gesture. They're so poor, they probably pay little or no income tax as it is. What good is a deduction going to do them? Second, of the 47 million who don't have health coverage and aren't low income, it's the pre-existing conditions ban that prevents many of these people from buying insurance. Many of you listening are no doubt familiar with this insurance company dodge. If you need medical coverage right now for something, don't come to us. Giving these pre-existing condition people a tax deduction won't allow them to get health insurance any more than they can get it now. As one expert put it regarding this pre-existing condition obstacle, stronger regulation of the insurance market is a critical element missing from Bush's plan. The way George would have it, insurance companies would still be able to deny coverage at will. So, if it's not going to help either the low-income workers who are the vast majority of the uninsured, or those higher-income workers denied coverage because of pre-existing conditions, exactly how many of the 47 million uninsured would be helped? Sit down for this one. Quote, White House officials acknowledged that they expected the number of uninsured to drop by only 3 million to 5 million people as a result of Mr. Bush's proposals. Close quote. We know that, if anything, these White House officials would exaggerate the number of people who would be helped by their proposal. But let's take them at their word. Forgive me, Lord, I know not what I do. Let's take them at their word and even take their high-end estimate, 5 million people. When I subtract 5 million from 46.6 million, I seem to be left with 41.6 million Americans still without health care coverage. Is my math amiss, or what? While I probably don't remember my high school calculus, trig, or geometry too well, I assume I can still add and subtract correctly. By my calculations, which are apparently beyond the capability of the mainstream media reporters covering this story, since I've read none of them reporting the story thusly, by my calculations, Bush's proposal would leave over 89% of the uninsured in America uninsured. Shouldn't that be the headline? Bush proposal would fail to help nearly 90% of those without health care coverage. Or how about Bush proposes leaving over 41 million Americans without health insurance? It gets even worse. Not only won't Bush's plan help 9 out of 10 Americans who need the help, it will do harm to the non-rich and put more money in the pockets of the affluent, two of the usual results of right-wing policy. As to harming the non-wealthy, the Bush plan would increase the taxes of those workers who receive good health care coverage through their employers. The line at which the penalty is incurred is put at health care coverage worth $15,000 for families, $7,500 for individuals. The value above that would be taxed as income for the first time. Bush used the sneering term gold-plated coverage to describe such plans. I would be very surprised indeed if George, Laura, Jenna, and Barbara's coverage is itself not of the gold-plated variety. Do you have too much health care coverage, Mr. President? How many of you out there listening have too much health care coverage? 
Moreover, as Paul Krugman put it, quote, Just to be clear, we're not talking about the wealthy. We're talking about ordinary workers who have managed to negotiate better than average health plans. Close quote. And as noted elsewhere, quote, Treasury officials acknowledge that some people with costly comprehensive benefits had modest incomes. Close quote. Even the business community is not on board. Quote, this is a classic case of robbing Peter to help Paul pay for coverage, said E. Neil Troutwine, a vice president of the National Retail Federation, which represents retailers of all sizes. I do not think the president will find many backers in the employer community for this proposal. Close quote. Besides increasing taxes on workers who were able to negotiate good health care coverage, Bush's plan would give a tax break to his favored people, the affluent. Quote, the only people the Bush plan might move out of the ranks of the uninsured are the people we're least concerned about, affluent, healthy Americans who choose voluntarily not to be insured. At most, the Bush plan might induce some of those people to buy insurance, while in the process, giving many other high-income individuals yet another tax break. Close quote. Overall, Bush's insurance proposal is... Yet another example of his, quote, peddling the fantasy that the free market, with a little help from tax cuts, solves all problems, close quote. As you've seen, it doesn't solve the problem at all. It barely touches the problem while financially penalizing the non-wealthy and giving the more affluent among us yet another tax break. All this doesn't stop a shamelessly aggressive George W. Bush. After a State of the Union speech, Bush embarked on a tour to promote this plan. At one stop, he declared of his health care proposal, quote, If people in Washington are serious about dealing with the uninsured, here is a serious idea for them to consider. They're just dismissing things because of pure politics, close quote. Uh, no, Mr. President, we're dismissing it because even by your own, probably bogus, best estimates, it helps at most one out of ten people who need help. People who are serious about dealing with the uninsured can't consider your scheme serious at all. Indeed. Here's the kicker. And again, I've seen no mainstream media report pointing this out. Bush's proposal would actually leave things worse than he found them when he took office. That's because... Every year under George W. Bush, the number of uninsured has gone up, a total increase of 6 million since 2001. So if Bush's plan will at most help only 5 million, Bush's proposal doesn't even fix the increase in the problem that's occurred on his watch. Shouldn't there be a headline, Bush healthcare plan would still leave more Americans uninsured than when he took office? Next time you're talking to your friendly local right-winger, why not ask them, Hey, how about your boy's health care plan? It won't even cover the 6 million Americans that have lost health care coverage since he took office, let alone the other 41 million people without health insurance. They're mostly one medical crisis away from financial devastation. Let me know what the response is. In closing, I'm happy to report that, quote, Democratic leaders have called the proposal all but dead on arrival. Close quote. 
dead and buried like it should be, like all right-wing policies should be, the fate that should befall all right-wing policies in a decent moral universe. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. Thanks to a listener from UCSB for some O'Reilly transcripts. Music credits. The bumper music was L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber and Not the One Blues by Burnshee Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of Catapult to Propaganda by Nye's Music. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Keep all that great email coming in. My address is rational at adelphia.net. If you prefer, you can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also Skype me at Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Saddam Hussein produced and possessed chemical and biological weapons. Well, there is no question that we have evidence and information that has weapons of mass destruction, biological and chemical particularly. Simply stating, there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. We're there to, to eliminate the weapons of mass destruction in that country. We know that Saddam Hussein produced and possessed chemical and biological weapons and has used chemical weapons. We know that. We now have teams of investigators who are hard at work to uncover the truth. The kind of catapult of propaganda. In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again. To kind of catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda.